Wow. <laughs> that, that's amazing. I've got to see that at each campus, too. So whatever campus you're at, uh, I know is the same same way. And amazing to be able to celebrate together, too. So glad you're here. Whether this is your very first time to be here or you've been here a long time, we're just grateful that you get, I hope you feel welcome and understand how welcome you are. As we celebrate this weekend, the most significant thing to celebrate and most significant reality of any reality, and that is that Jesus is not dead, but is alive and at work in our world and can be at work in our lives. And that has the potential to change everything, which is why we chose the song Dream On. And, you know, because that, fr- that song is built around a phrase, Dream On, which can be used a couple of different ways, right? You can use it like the song in a very positive way, like dream on, man, dream big, dream until the dream comes true. But you can also use it, and it's more commonly used, kind of the other way, a sarcastic way, like, yeah, dream on, right? And so maybe you have a friend who, you know, you, you have a, they know that you know this girl, and they're really interested in that girl, but you also know that girl is like in a totally different league. And he's like, oh man, would you introduce me? I think, I think we'd make a great couple. And you're like, yeah, dream on. Right, it's never going to happen. Or maybe they're, you know, in work, there's somebody who has this really great idea and it's going to change your industry. It's going to be amazing. And they're all excited about it. You hear it and it's just not so great. And you're like, yeah, dream on. Or maybe if I came out after hearing these singers sing dream on and I said, man, I could totally do that if I wanted to. What would you say? Dream on. I know. And you should, right? You should crush that dream. But the reality of Easter is that we can actually feel a little bit differently about it. And, and you know, all of us, uh, I, I, I was actually thinking, toying with the idea of having you in the crowd just say a dream to somebody, something you're thinking about, and then having the other person crush the dream by saying dream on. Well, that's a terrible idea. And so we're not going to do it. I, it, whether it's Easter or not, it's just a terrible idea. But I don't think we need to do that because we all have this voice in our own head Like even when we begin to dream a little bit, there's this kind of voice in our head that is kind of a dream killer. It's like, yeah, dream on. That's never going to happen. It's really easy in a fallen world, in our broken world, with so much disappointment and all that that happens to get fatalistic. To just begin to feel like, you know, it is the way it is. The world, my life, my marriage, my family, my singleness, my friends, my career, whatever. It's just, it is what it is and it's never going to change. And if it does change, it's probably just going to be worse than it is now. And that kind of fatalism is just deadly, but it's easy to live that way. I, I get that way when I get sick, not just a little bit sick, but like really sick. We were talking about this as a family the other day that for some reason, whenever there's like a big sickness that comes up, I always seem to be, I always seem to get it. Like years ago, swine flu, remember when that was a big thing? I, I got the swine flu, which is why every now and then, even now, when I laugh sometimes, I go, <laughs> you know, do that, sort. I think it has something to do with that. Or, uh, or I love bacon. Maybe that has something to do with that. But when I was, I got the swine flu and when I get really sick, I quarantine myself. We have a bonus room above our garage. It has bunk beds and a TV. So I was up there by myself with bunk beds and a TV and my fever spiked so high. I started to get, I started hallucinating. And, and I was watching TV and I couldn't tell what was reality, whether I was in the world of the TV or outside the world. I mean, I really didn't know. And I was trying to kind of figure it out. Like I really thought I was in the TV world. 
for a little while. And the other delusion though that I had was it went on for long enough that I began to really feel like, you know, this is my new normal. Like that my life is now just a swine flu life. I'm always going to feel this way. Like this is just my new thing. This is my new reality. And of course that's silly because I not too long got after, you know, got over it and I don't feel that way anymore. But in the moment, it felt like totally like it made sense. Even though it didn't correspond with reality. Now I want to pull that over into your life and my life and the things that is, are easy to get fatalistic about. We're, we're so easy to just think, you know, it is the way it is. This is my life. It's never going to change. It's not changeable. There's, you know, just... And what I hope will begin to understand this Easter is that's actually delusional. And that it doesn't correspond with the reality of the resurrection. Because Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And that means anything is possible. And because of the resurrection, we actually can dream on in the best sense of the word. Not like, yeah, dream on. But dream on. Dream big. Because whether God changes our circumstances or changes us, intervenes in us in the midst of our circumstance, we don't have to get fatalistic. We can live with open-ended expectation that says, you know, God, you can do anything. Now, that's a very different way to live with that level of hope. And so I want us to see a picture of that. And we're going to see it in the Bible in this book called Acts in the Bible, which is the book after the life of Jesus. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, which tell the stories of Jesus. And then you have the book of Acts, which are these new believers who have witnessed the resurrection. They've seen the resurrected Jesus. They know that he's alive in heaven at work and one day he'll come back. And you see that they just live on this whole different level of hope and expectation. And in one chapter, we're just going to focus on one chapter, Acts 9, you see three major turnarounds that nobody would have seen coming. Like, there's no way that would ever happen except for the resurrected Jesus who intervenes and is not disinterested in us, but is interested, is not disengaged, but is engaged if we open up our life to him. Now, the first of the three big turnarounds in Acts 9 is a big one. I would call it a world event. Like right now, there's a lot of world events that are happening. There's like, oh man. That's never going to change. That's terrible and all that. But this was one of those kind of world events that happened. That in really, you could call it a regional event, but it was really massive. And it would have been really discouraging for these early Christians. And here's the setup for it in Acts 8, before we get to Acts 9. A great wave of persecution began that day against the Christians. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, which is where all the Christians were at the time. Because it was all brand new. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered, running for their lives in freedom throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. For these believers where Christianity had started in Jerusalem, it was so awesome, it was so great. and It, it was great until it wasn't. When persecution comes, that they didn't see coming. And if you've lived life long enough, you can relate to that. Where life goes along fine for a while until all of a sudden it doesn't. And there's some circumstance that turns everything upside down. You're like, well, now what? How is this ever going to change? And that's exactly the way they would have been feeling. 
because Saul was a Pharisee, which was a religious leader who, who didn't believe in Jesus and he wanted to stamp out Christianity and he had the power and, and all that to do that. And so they were going everywhere, throwing Christians into prison and even killing some. And people were running for their lives, leaving their livelihood, their homes. They were, they, were, they were destitute. And how was that ever going to change? Because Saul certainly wasn't going to change until he did. Because of the resurrected Jesus intervenes. And that's the beginning of Acts 9. And I can't go into all the story. Read it this week because it's an amazing story. As this guy who's on his way saw to arrest some Christians in a particular area. As he's traveling literally gets knocked on his rear end by the resurrected Jesus. This vision of Jesus that he sees and talks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And if you saw that, you become a Christian too. And he does. And Saul becomes Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. The greatest opponent of Christianity becomes the greatest proponent of Christianity. And how could that happen? The resurrected Jesus, who's alive and who intervenes. But it would have been considered crazy. Those Christians would have certainly been fatalistic before it happened. Like, well, this is the new normal. It's just always going to be this way. Because how is he ever going to change? It'd be like today... Thinking of Vladimir Putin. You know, I don't know what's wrong with that guy, but I mean, God loves him and I, you know, pray for him, but he's kind of messed up, right? And, and, and how, can you imagine that? I mean, I don't know what happened to him. Maybe his mom didn't love him growing up or, I mean, I, I guess maybe he got picked on a lot as a kid. I mean, imagine going through school, junior high, elementary school, the last name Putin. I mean, that's tough. Or maybe his underwear is too tight. I don't know. But he, he's a messed up guy. But imagine him, Jesus intervening in his life, him becoming a Christian and telling the world, I am really sorry. I've been corrupt. I don't want to be that way. I've been dishonest. I don't want to be that way. The whole Ukraine thing was, oh, that's terrible. I'm going to do everything. We're not only going to withdraw. We're going to do everything we can to as best as possible. You can't really make that right, but do whatever. We, I mean, you'd be like, what happened? How could that happen? This would have been one of those things. And for the early church, it was a major change. And, and here's what we read in Acts 9. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. They began to flourish in a way that they would have thought impossible. When you and I look at our world, it can be hard to even watch the news anymore, right? You're like, ah, I don't you know, just... But we can actually, it just depends on what you focus on. Because if you focus on God's interventions that are happening all over the place, God's redemptions all over the place, you realize God is at work in our world and he's, he is intervening. We focused on that a few weeks ago at our global weekend. And you start seeing God at work all over the world and using people like you and me in the process, even in our community. And many of you are involved in bringing real change to real issues and real people in our culture. As you're involved in our community in different ways, as you're involved in our church and you're serving and you see all these turnarounds, it's what we get to be involved in if we join him in it. Anything is possible. We don't have to be despondent. We can watch the news and pray through it and just say, God, let's turn that around. And how could you use me? It's a whole different level of expectation. But the next two turnarounds get way more personal. That one's big and global. The next two are more personal. It says in uh, Acts 9, 32, meanwhile, meaning while all that was happening with Saul becoming Paul and all that, Peter, who is one of the key leaders of the early church, one of the 12 disciples, 
It says, meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. And there he met a name, man named Aeneas who'd been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. It's quite a story. So this guy Aeneas had been bedridden, paralyzed, bedridden for eight years. Now some of you are parents of like real little kids. You have babies at home preschoolers, toddlers. And when you think bedridden for eight years, you think that would be awesome. <laughs> like that would be, I would sign up for that right now. You know, I mean, eight hours would be amazing, but eight years, that sounds great. But right, but it actually wasn't great. Because in that culture, now being paralyzed is terrible, but 2,000 years ago, even more so. And he certainly would have lost hope. He certainly would have been fatalistic after eight years thinking, well, it's always going to be this way. This is just the way it is. This is my life. It's never going to change. And it's true unless the resurrected Jesus intervenes. And that's what happens as Peter comes. And notice what Peter says. Peter doesn't say, I heal you. Because Peter has no ability to heal anybody. What does he say? Jesus Christ heals you. Why? Because Jesus isn't dead. He's alive and he's, a, he's at work and he intervenes. And Peter prays, trusting that Jesus can do that. He either will or won't. He does. And, and he says, get up. And Aeneas gets up and walks into a whole new life. Now, the next story even ups the ante from there. I mean, one guy, this, this, you know, he was paralyzed. This next one, even bigger. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was named for her dad, Dork. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say it. But, um, so this is about 10 minutes away. I mean, 10, excuse me, 10 miles away is where Peter is. And here's what happens. She was living, doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. Now, this is remarkable. You talk about resurrection hope and living with expectation, like a positive dream on. It's crazy, actually, because she dies. And it says they don't prepare the body for burial. They don't bury her, which in that culture was really weird. They were totally freaked out by dead bodies. Now, I'm not excited about them. You know, I, I, you aren't either, right? We, I don't think you, like, I have a distant relative that worked when he was in high school at a mortuary and was cleaning and got locked in the freezer or the cooler that had all these dead bodies in it all night long. He was in there and he was never quite the same, according to him. And uh, so none of us like dead bodies and want to hang around dead I mean, I don't think, but they were totally freaked out by him. They had all these taboos about him and what would it would make you unclean, all this so they buried, in that culture, they buried people really quickly. And they would prepare the body for burial very quickly with these burial spices and all this. But in this case, they don't. They wash the body and put her upstairs. Now, that was crazy. But they believed if Peter is only 10 miles away, let's go get him. She didn't have to stay dead. Jesus is alive. He can do anything. I don't know if he'll do it or not, but he can. Let's get Peter. Peter knows how to do this stuff to make Jesus do, you know, see what happens. So let's, let's go get Peter. Now that would have, this would have been about a 24 hour turnaround, but they go get Peter, walk over there. Peter comes back and here's what happens. Peter asked them all to leave the room and then he knelt and prayed. 
Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. Normally, when you talk to dead people, nothing happens. But in this case, she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers. And he presented her to them alive. Dead people stay dead. Unless the resurrected Jesus intervenes. Even the impossible. And that's what happens. Now notice he says get up to both of them. But they did. And walked into a whole new existence. A whole new life. And here's my question for you and me. With this part of the story. Is I want you to think about. An area of your life right now. That is either struggling to get out of bed. You know it's just not going well. And maybe it's a big area of life. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your just lonely and singleness. Maybe it's stuff going on inside of you. Your emotional health and your career. Funny, I don't know what it is. But just struggling to get out of bed. Or maybe it feels dead. I mean, maybe it just feels all the way dead. Like it is the way it is. And it's never going to change. And in a little bit, we're going to go to God in prayer. To the resurrected Jesus And I'm going to invite you to say, with lifted expectations, just say, you know, I'm going to bring this to you, and I'm going to ask you to intervene. And what God might do is change the circumstance. Or he might intervene, which means he changes us in the circumstance and grows us and redeems the situation. But I believe he'll always do something when we come to him that way. And there probably will be something for you to do. Just like there's a command, notice, for Aeneas and for Tabitha. He says, same command, get up. Meaning they had to do something. It was, they weren't just totally passive. Get up. If Aeneas hadn't gotten up, he never would have, none of this would have happened. But he, he chose, okay, I don't think I can, but I, and he gets up. There's a step to take. And often there is a step or two to take. And if you're open and you're willing To open up your life and that area of life to Jesus and open to take whatever steps he'll call you to take. Then anything is possible. Let me give an illustration out of my own life because I've had a couple weeks to think about this as I've been thinking about the talk. So um, last week I had the opportunity to have this conversation with a guy that in some Christian circles, because he's written a lot of books, is kind of famous. His name is Bob Goff. He's spoken here a couple times and he's an incredible guy. Read his books. And so I don't, it's not like I get to talk to him all the time. So I was in this conversation with him, which for some of you, you think, oh man, Jeff, you're name dropping. And I'm not. Um, years ago, when he was still alive, my good friend Billy Graham told me to not be a name dropper. And, and I said, okay, Billy, I won't, you know, good buddy, Billy. I, I don't know Billy. I never knew him. But anyway, so we're in this conversation and, but I love his question because his, his question wasn't just, hey, how are you doing? Which is fine. But if you say, how are you doing? What do you say? Fine, right? And, you know, how are you doing? Fine, right? But that wasn't his question. His question was, what does it feel like to be you right now? Well, that makes you think, what does it feel like to be you right now? And it made me really think, because just before that conversation, I had a conversation with a friend who's a pastor of a very, very large church. And... We had a good conversation and he was thanking me. He's a very goal oriented kind of, you know, person I'm too. But, and, and he 
was thanking me for our friendship and just saying, man, it has given me so much life. Thank you for your friendship and your encouragement in my life and all that. And you'd think that would pull me closer, but it didn't. There was something that happened to me that disconnected rather than connected. And what I was feeling was, you know what? I didn't say it out loud, but this is what I was feeling is, you know what? The, you say that now because you think I'm reasonably successful and have something to contribute to you. But the minute that I wasn't, the minute you didn't think I was a strong leader or I wasn't performing or I didn't have something on, you dropped me like that. That's what was going on in my heart. Now that's totally unfair to him because it's not about him, it's about me. So what did it feel like to be me? I realized when Bob asked me that question, you know, it's like, you know what it feels like to be me? It feels insecure to be me. And later, I took that to Jesus. Because he's not dead, he's alive. In prayer, I just said, why am I insecure? Like, what is that? I mean, I, I've been on this planet for a while. What's going on in my heart, in my life? And would you help me become secure, not in my performance or in my position or in my status or in what people think of me. Would you help me become secure in you? In my relationship with you and how you see me? And there were some steps I knew I needed to take, not only in prayer, but there's a couple people I've talked to that have helped me. There's some things I'm reading that have helped me. And I am more secure now than I was a week ago. And I hope and trust and fully believe if I continue to take steps I'm taking that a year from now, next Easter, I'll be way more secure than I am right now. Because that's what the resurrected Jesus can do. And so for some of you, maybe you're new to this Christian thing or kicking the tires of Christianity. And let me tell you, Christianity is not just about believing a few things so you can go to heaven one day. Christianity is way more than that. Christianity, the essence of it is a relationship with Jesus who's not dead, who's alive, who wants to be in your life, walk with you in life and change and transform you. And therefore, if you want to stay the same as you are right now, then probably pass because you won't stay the same. He says, in, there's a promise in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will complete it. And he, he begins to work and change and grow us and transform us to be who we were supposed to be, even though now sin has ruined it. And he begins to redeem us and change us over time. And you and I either speed that up or slow it down based on the steps we take. Either we get up or we hold back, but... He will begin to work in our life. And for those of you who know Jesus, I want us, as I said a few minutes ago, to go before him in prayer and open up our life to him in a new way, in his resurrection power, in his resurrection hope, to realize we don't have to be like, yeah, dream on. We can be like, you know what? Dream on. Because he's alive and he's at work and he can do anything. And I want us to bring those areas in our life that feel dead. We're struggling to get out of bed. And it's discouraging and it just feels like it's always going to be this way. And I, nothing, what's ever going to change that? And just say, God, would you change it? Or at least change me in the midst of this and grow me. And I'm 100% believe he'll answer one of those prayers. So let's bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, thank you that you are an intervener in this broken world. 
And because Jesus is not dead but alive and at work, anything is possible. And therefore, would you fill us with a sense of renewed hope? God, don't let us be fatalistic, sarcastic. God, just help us live with an open-ended expectation. Father, I pray you guide people right now who maybe have never begun a relationship with you to just be willing to do that right now, just to say, I want to open up my life to you. I mean, Jesus, you came to make it possible for me to have a relationship with you. And you want to be in my life and grow and transform me and use me to be transformative in this broken world. And I'm in. I, I'm in. And when he comes into our life and we get a relationship, he begins to work in us. And the Bible says he won't give up on us. Even if we try to give up on him, he won't give up on us. And for those who've already taken that step, let's just bring that area of life that maybe is on your mind and just say, God, would you, would you bring change in this area of life? Whether it's in me or in this circumstance or in this relationship or in you know, whatever it is, God, would you just work your resurrection power in that? Lord, we thank you that you are not dead but alive. You are not disinterested but interested. You are not disengaged but fully engaged. In Jesus' name, amen.